0: Tune in and cry it out with me, DJ Susie.
1: This is joy, this is summer.
0: Keep alive.
1: Stay alive. Es el protagonista de una ceremonia que rememora nuestra violenta supervivencia humana a expensas de la naturaleza.
0: El toro es sacrificado porque el toro es sagrado. Sobrevivimos porque matamos a la naturaleza. No podemos evadirnos de esta necesidad. Nuestra necesidad es nuestra culpa. Y saber
1: es algo que daña nuestras almas las máscaras de la i I'm in the kitchen, padres, I'm cooking and mixing and fixing the sauces and i call you back. Running around in the city, I run it, I like it, I'm busy so I'll call you back. Flipping the switches and bitches, come witness the joy. in. is a local favorite, number nine, Lois What's your name? I can't remember. Where are you from? I can't remember.
2: Can't you remember anything?
1: I remember the Alamo.
2: internet radio dial is in the perfect position and race to the bottom is on the air time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing winslow tea try it hot lukewarm or over ice have it with milk and sugar or a lemon wedge or oh natural Mm-mm-mm. now that's winslow tea a New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer, because that's how you know it's Winslow. From the Winslow T. Broadcast Booth in cloudy Bushwick, Brooklyn, I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom, baby. Monologue, as always, is sponsored by Winslow Tea, and I'm drinking it right now. Mm. Uh, thank God I have still a little bit more left. I need it. As always, also, always, remember that movie, Always? Who's in that? Always movie. It was, um, John Goodman, right? No. Yes, he was. Richard Dreyfus, Holly Hunter, John Goodman. It was a uh, Steven Spielberg joint. But yeah, as always, also, Bremer and McCoy are playing in the background. Thank you, Bremer. Thank you, McCoy. I saw no way The heavens were stitched I felt the columns close The earth reversed her hemispheres I touched the universe And back it slid And I alone, a speck upon a ball Went out upon circumference beyond the dip of a bell. So this is the last uh, live race to the bottom on Radio Free Brooklyn. I want to talk about that, but I want to start out by uh, just saying how thankful I am To my research team, to Dr. Dad, to Tom D, to Dr. Lisa, to Crime Talk BK, Megan and Joanna, to listener Tim, to my mom, to Nikki, the freaking Deacon, my chef friends, Kyle and Chris, Scott Bunn, Matt Bogotchnik, Mike Vago, comedian John Field, America's comic, Jake Frankel, Howie Frankel, my baseball dad, Dave and Eric and Corey, miss doing the Oscar spectacular, to Seth Simons, to Rachel C., To Krekel & Woe for their amazing theme song. To Tom Chalmers. To Brian Domena, To Mark T.W. We did our episodes on the Ultimate Sports Draft and golf. To Par. To Jason Gore from The Best Show. To listener Kathy. Listener Julian. To our resident historian Colette. To John Scales, to Shane Parrish, to Stephen Slack, and all the people who helped me out with how the internet has changed us. I forget anybody. It's the Race to the Bottom community. But, also, those people ultimately are just my friends and family for the most part and it's hard for me when I feel like I'm doing something and putting so much into it and it just can't really get any bigger Um, kind of feels sometimes like I'm playing a uh, dress up, playing a dress up game, and and having uh, putting on a show in the living room for my friends and family. And this isn't a real radio show because there's not. I don't. I don't hear from any anyone outside of the. The the community that we've built for the show, and um, and I, I I need more for it to keep going, and maybe that's ambitious, but as Mark Antony says, ambition should be made of sterner stuff than just wanting a few casual listeners that I'm not, like, impelling to listen to my radio show. So... Yeah. It's a lot of work to do this. I've been doing it all new shows for more than three years. Like, 165 some shows. And... I missed, (laughs) caveat asterisk, I did miss two shows uh, because I had COVID in February and I did reruns for those two weeks. Otherwise, every week was something new that I, I put together took it really really seriously constantly taking notes for the next week next week's show and on my first show starting on Radio Free Brooklyn I put out the objective of risk. I wanted the whole thing to be guided by by risk. Didn't want to ever play it safe. Wanted to push myself to do something new every week. When the show, if the show ever felt stale, I wanted to go back to basics, base it in improv, and. First thought, best thought. And try to create something new from the ashes. And out of that came the mashups. And what did we hear? We heard, I think, my favorite mashup. And I've done 105 mashups for you all. But I think my favorite one was early on in the game. First aired July 27th, 2019. Mashup 5. And who'd we hear from? We heard from Frank Ocean. This is joy, this is summer. Keep alive. Stay alive. We heard from Michael McDonald singing "Peg" from the, which I I found the isolated vocals of him singing that uh, Steely Dan documentary, and I put that over the Eurythmics "Here Comes the Rain Again." I made this one in, in Maine at that that table in that cool house in Maine that I stayed at with M- my wife and her family. Heard the. I think that's the Trouser Press, requested by Nikki. We heard from uh, Pee Wee Herman, I can't remember, which I say to my wife when I can't remember something, but I can remember the Alamo. We heard from Carlos Fuentes from his documentary, The Buried Mirror, that Andy Summers played for us back in college. And he says, Sobrevivimos porque matamos a la naturaleza. We survive because we destroy nature. No podemos evitar esta necesidad. Y esta necesidad es nuestra culpa. Y daña nuestras almas. We survive because we destroy nature. We cannot escape this necessity. Our necessity is our shame, and this knowledge damages our souls," says that one. He's had a bullfight. We heard from the um, Erica Badu's EP, "The uh, I'll Call You Back" EP, the phone call, whatever, whatever that EP was called, all songs about phone calls. We heard Handsworth Revolution. Shout out to listener Tim. We used to blast that back in the day. I'm blanking on that on that uh, group's name. Culture. What the hell? Handsworth. It's like one of the biggest rev- reggae groups. Steel Pulse. Jesus. We heard from Crabtree. No, that's not Crabtree. Sherman. Man, I'm having a senior moment. Cough button. Richard Sherman talking about Crabtree. So we did the mashups. I did freestyle shows when when things felt stagnant. The past year plus, I've been having guests every week. Uh, we did the Mayoral May. Talked about so many different things. We'll talk more about that. In uh, so I have a few more shows. This this is the last live show, but I'm gonna do some uh pre-records because I'm gonna be doing. I got a little got some trips planned, and uh, I got a do Radio Free Brooklyn the solid of giving them a month's notice. And uh, so I'll, I'll tell you what what's going to be coming up on the n- next few shows. We did politics. I kind of started out Race to the Bottom back when I was in Asheville. It was pizza, po- pizza and politics. When I was in New York, I obviously stopped delivering pizzas. But the politics remained. But uh, the guy we call uh, Omelette Bar was already president by that time, and it already wasn't very fun. (sighs) But I'm worried, I'm worried about the midterms, I'm worried about 2024, and I know that. I know Biden sucks in a lot of ways, Democrats suck in a lot of ways, but man, it's all we got. I'm worried about fascism. In the Anatomy of Fascism, Columbia University historian Robert Paxton says this, definition of fascism. Fascism may be defined as a form of political behavior marked by obsessive preoccupation with community decline, humiliation, or victimhood, and by compensatory cults of unity, energy, and purity, in which a mass-based party of committed nationalist militants working in uneasy but effective collaboration with traditional elites, abandoned abandons democratic liberties and and pursues with redemptive violence and without ethical or legal restraints goals of internal cleansing and external expansion check, check, check there's poison in the water is this fun to talk about? no and i saw i saw something really disconcerting start around the reaction to black lives matter protests where i felt like there was finally Deep change possible in this country, and there's this there's these these groups, these specific individuals and, and groups who push back up against what was going on with Black Lives Matter, pointed out the uh, the worst edges. when ninety plus percent of, of these protests all around the country were peaceful and hopeful the the outliers were were cynically used to to denigrate this positive change. You got this pushback from these anti anti Trump people. And a lot of that was based in, in some idea that there's a Russia, Russia basically agreeing with Trump that the whole Russia thing was a hoax. And saying that uh, it's no big deal. Trump will concede. He's not a fascist. You guys don't know true fascism. And then January 6th happened. And immediately, these these same people sought to de- delegitimize what it, what uh, our, our fears about January sixth said that uh, we're we're all just beholden or we worship the CIA and the FBI. And look, again, the CIA and the FBI they suck. I get that, but again, it's all we've got to try to. Especially, I guess the FBI. I mean, CIA can jump off a bridge, but these people say there's no evidence. It's a fishing expedition. Then, there were, then where there is evidence, they say, "Oh, you believe the, you believe the FBI?" They call uh, people who are worried uh, suckers or simp's. These same people go after somebody like AOC, and and then go on Tucker Carlson's show. It's unbelievable. And then uh, the past few uh, months, I've I've been uh, talking about. First, it was critical race theory. And it's this grooming stuff. It's bullshit. And anyway, I, I feel like we're, we're walking into a, the, a buzzsaw of the midterms in 2024, and I'm worried that we're not going to make it out in one piece. So it's not really fun for me to talk about politics anymore on the show. I saw no way. The heavens were stitched. I felt the columns close. The earth reversed her hemispheres. I touched the universe and it slid back. And I alone, a speck upon a ball, went out upon circumference beyond the dip of bell. So I'm going to open up space for other things in my life. I'm writing this book, which I'm trying to really kind of mostly finish this summer. Might make some music. Decided to delete my social media apps on my phone, read more. I'm going to steep out of the conversation. I've done too much talking. Or what is it? I've done a lot of talking. Now it's time to do some listening. That's what the great Louis C.K. said when he was exposed as a creep. So yeah, that's that's a summary of where I'm at. But there's uh, there's good things going on uh, too. I don't want to have a pity party here. And one of the good things is our guest today. We've got returning champion ben feinberg my college anthropology teacher coming on the show we've got some good stuff to talk about he's been doing some writing wanted to talk to him about the mexican revolution and, and then see what he thought maybe about uh if you watch the january 6 hearings on thursday try to tie that all up together like we do and then next week Mashups, part five, I think. I'll put together the the mashups I've done this year. Mashups, the mashups, talk, uh, do some more conversation. Then we got Shane Parrish talking about his album Liverpool. And then, uh, and then it'll be the series finale of Race to the Bottom on July 2nd. Hello, Ben. Hey. How's it going, good sir?
0: Hello, John Reed. I'm doing well here in Asheville, North Carolina.
2: Let me start my, my video too. Hey, how's it going? All right. There we are. Asheville, North Carolina. I'm familiar with Asheville.
0: Ah, huh, that's amazing. What a coincidence.
2: <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, everybody this is my uh or was are are you still my my college
0: anthropology teacher or, or just what you were i don't know i think that that could be sort of the the present expansive there right that you, you, you i am perpetually uh, your college anthropology mm-hmm. professor in yep. fact i may not even exist outside of your experience yeah. as an anthropology student
2: although yeah. i although you did um i i remember in your Different classes talking about, um, the, the kind of how you could be locked into personal narratives and how to not necessarily, uh, mm-hmm. buy, buy into our, our personal narratives. So, so maybe, uh, you know, yeah. the, it's the, it also creates a limitation to, to just, uh, give, yeah. give you the, the moniker or the, the designation yeah. of, of being one thing to me.
0: No, and I am more than one thing in in I assume in in the world outside of you, but I'm I'm a pretty small character in in John Reed's <laughs> world. I'm a, I'm really a non-player character. So I don't really have to be fleshed out as much mm. as some of the sort of player characters that you have to interact with who might be part of your party, you know, to use the uh, dungeons and dragons metaphor here.
2: Nice. I, 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 uh, I, I might quibble with, with you being a, a minor character, but, uh, it, it might be because I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing a book which, uh, you, you appear in multiple times about my time and in college. It's kind of a thinly disguised, uh, autobiography, um, uh, but, but kind of moving more in, into a novelistic area. But so, so you're, you're in there and I'm, and I have to figure out how much I'm gonna, Uh, disguise disguise your identity i'm uh i'm kind of going through and and kind of fictionalizing some some people in there and i'm wondering who i'm going to fictionalize or am am i going to fictionalize everybody change some details um
0: so all right well i look forward to, to seeing that
2: yeah and i i just read uh, an excerpt of something you're working on. And I, I, Ben, I have to say, I was, I was blown away by it. It was really, really, uh, great, uh, piece of writing. Um, and I would like to talk to you about that. I would like to talk to you about, uh, I just, I, I reimmersed myself in, in the Mexican Revolution. Uh, and I, and I, uh, thought I, we could talk about, uh, that, and then, and then whatever else, if we can kind of, uh, cobble together some kind of, uh, cohesive narrative of, of all the disparate things we, we want to discuss that. All right.
0: Sounds good. Like, just let me know what you want to, what, what, what you want to hear about. I'm here.
2: So you're, uh, the this, this excerpt that you, that you sent me was about, um, would you call it an uh, still in the ethnography g- genre, or, or how would you, if you had to define what it is, what, what would you
0: say? I mean, you know, I am an anthropologist, and what I do is ethnographic, but I don't know that this is kind of classic ethnography, because I am trying to write for a kind of more general audience and to tell a story, and in this piece, uh, you know, I've been going to this one region of Mexico for over 30 years uh, called the Sierra Mazateca. Uh, people there speak an indigenous language called Mazatec. Um, most recently, I'm writing about one aspect of the world there, which is that it has the deepest cave systems in the Americas, the most complex and challenging cave systems. And so since the 1960s, you have foreign explorers going there to look at this cave system. At the same time, the underground world is incredibly sort of important and elaborated within kind of the thinking of the Mazatec people. Uh, You also have an extraordinarily complex political situation in which cavers need to get permissions. They need to work with people. They might be seen in particular ways. Um, And so that's what I've been working on. This one sort of smaller group of cavers really befriended me. They're people that actually do have very close and ongoing relationships with people in the area and and see that as important. And they've invited me to participate in several of their expeditions, which largely involve kind of going up to a a relatively uninhabited part of the mountains, camping, and then looking around for deep caves. Uh, In the section I sent you, it was in one particular place that highlighted one of the more terrifying changes that's happened to the politics of the area.
2: Yeah, so a few things. One, I've been to uh, kind of the mouth of some of these caves Um and and i guess these this cave system also also i the i've been mostly to caves in in uh guatemala and and i went to this one cave it was it was a few hours from guatemala city but the, but our guides um insisted that the, these caves uh if you went deep enough led all the way to guatemala city and basically there's this idea of these Kind of interlinking caves going basically under m- much of the country um, hmm. i don't I don't know the veracity of that, but um, can you talk more about about the um, the both the kind of symbolic un- underground um, world of Of the Mazatecs and and of of these caves and and also the kind of actual
0: world of of the caves well you know i'm not sure i'd hesitate to use that word actual world because (laughs) one of the things that i want to point out is that the kind of north american cave explorers also imposed a totally mythological understanding on the underground world you know particularly the kind of big shot cavers who come down year after year Um, And I would say that that's kind of based on this kind of idea of domination and discovery. That is that they see the caves as this kind of natural world that human beings, um, heroic, masculine, modern human beings penetrate, conquer. They use this sort of rhetoric all the time, battling the cave, conquering it, and and it's a sort of totally human-centered world. They're discovering something that's uninhabited, that's unoccupied. From the Mazatec point of view, the relationship with the underground world is completely different. Humans aren't the center of the world. We aren't the only sentient living things. Everything is kind of an agent and living, and the caves are... um, have, have their own owners and beings. Uh, and the relationship with them is one based on, um, again, alliterative, uh, reciprocity and respect. So it's not something that's unoccupied. So you can't discover it. You can engage with it in forms of reciprocity and respect and that the beings, the things that are associated with the caves can then kind of benefit you. You can also do it from a sort of, and, and, and so it really it, 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 it's a kind of metaphor as well for all relationships with power, right? Um, going into the caves is like going in and interacting with people like, like me. So um, caves are also sources of water. Uh, they're places that you might go and do certain kinds of rituals in order to cause the rains to be released and then to kind of stop the rains as well. So it's an ongoing lived kind of relationship, uh, which then when the foreign cavers kind of bypass that can cause problems, right? Um, Foreign cavers who say, Hey, here's a prehistoric sloth skull. I'm going to take it to the experts. Well, that sloth skull itself might be a kind of access or anchor and, fucking with it might have all kinds of consequences, right, Uh, that that are real, Um, you know, just as there were consequences for people for the sort of turning their land into a source of material resources for the benefit of other people. All right, but in terms of like what we think of as real, these cave systems are largely really vertical. People have drops, like this one time, um, four years ago, I went with people, after a day of, messing around they found a cave they threw a rock in it they counted how long it hit the bottom the cave turned out to be a 500 meter drop right like that's incredible uh uh that distance or maybe it wasn't five hundred maybe it was like a couple hundred but in any case um some of these just sort of end and some of them connect to this big system the biggest system that's known really it's got i don't know hundred miles of passages 25 entrances or exits um the people i was with weren't really the people who do that big system they were looking for new uh new entrances to map and explore
2: so and and then in the piece that that you uh that i read there there's also the aspect of this uh, the 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 modern situation or, or the current situation where th- there's also um the the narcos having some kind of uh feeling of dominion over over these uh yeah. caves and in spaces well, and and how that interacts with these kind of we talked last time you were on about these like benign can this idea of the, like the benign conquistador um that uh that comes in and. I, I don't know if you would ascribe that to these cavers or if it's, if it's more nefarious than that, less, uh, you know, yeah. um, and, and, um, the conflict driving the piece that I read was, were these, these worlds of these, these conquistador-like cavers, um, uh, and, and then, and their interactions, with the narcos mediated by this this central character of of ismail right right
0: so you know this one particular town on one end of the sierra Mazateca uh had been taken over by these powerful criminal gangs um that are linked with the state in various ways that compete with each other uh, and that um a month before uh the expedition of 2020 blew into town, went to a, a building where the local government was having a Christmas party. Two kind of truckloads of guys with guns came in and 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 murdered the president and another person. Um, I don't think that the cavers I'm talking about really here are like the conquistadors necessarily. <laughs> uh, and in this particular case, there are people who, you know, have these great sentiments. They work with people. They love people. They feel like they can be agents of some sort of positive benefit, but the problem is, you know, they are always suspicious. There are in a, in a community that has these different factions and that has these uh, uh, notions—very valid notions—that people working with outsiders may be doing so in ways that uh, that are uh, ho- hostile to some other group. You know, and then the presence of the narcos is just like throws gas on that whole thing, um, and so yeah, they they think, well, I'm just working with these people. We're doing this neutral thing that's beneficial. Well, it might not be seen as neutral. It might have these unforeseen consequences. Um, and one of the points I, I I make in that piece is, you know, I kind of feel like these narcos themselves are very much like the Spanish conquistadors. Yes. The forms of power they use, the way they come in, and um, Spanish conquistadors would force local communities to buy their goods. Uh, they would work through sometimes existing power structures, but when they got out of hand, they would use these uh public forms of incredible violence mm-hmm. to, to create this kind of terror
2: and you you um, also quote extensively from uh they the, i forgot the word these good uh, the, dict- yeah these basically dic- di- dictates that that they would uh that they would Put forward to kind of legitimize their position, so the conquistadors would would po- post these these long kind of diatribes, uh, basically stating their position, their their might, and and their uh,
0: in in their eyes their legitimacy. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's actually just one very long document that I put some into, and they were required to say it before they attacked a town, and they could say it to the woods. It didn't really matter. They said it in Spanish; no one could understand it. And it basically says, like, you guys, the Pope has already said you guys belong to Spain. So just letting you know, this is the whole history of the world that leads up to that. We're in charge. The king's in charge. That's already happened. And if you just agree with that, everything will be fine. But if you don't accept it, then you're in rebellion and we have the right to, to enslave your family, to do anything, and it's all your fault. That's a brilliant kind of technology of power. It's exactly the same speech, basically, that Bush gave before the invasion of Iraq. Yeah. Oh, you guys are already conquered, so you're insurgents. You're not fighting a war, defending your country. You're in a rebellion against something that's already happened. Um, and so yeah, the narcos kind of I, I make a connection because they use social media. Th- they use WhatsApp. To send this extraordinarily chilling message to everyone in the community, you know, social media that used to be thought of as this liberating thing is this institution of, of terror, you know, basically telling people they're in charge. There's a curfew. Uh, there, you know, we're legitimate. We're Cavaliers here to prevent you from crime. Of course, we're we're honorable, but if you don't do what we you say, we say, uh, you know too bad you're it's all your fault that we're and if you try to leave we'll kill your family mm-hmm. um and 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 listing names of people who are required to appear before the local cartel boss right through you know and people are receiving these messages in their homes on their phones in this most intimate kind of space
2: so um i don't i The, in the, the part about, um, the, the kind of main, the, in a lot of ways, the protagonist of, of your piece is, is this, this Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, local, uh, guy, guy who just kind of, Ha, falls into the role of be, becoming a guide for these, uh, for these cavers, um, and just has this kind of preternatural sense of, of how to, how to do it, how to interact with the caves, how to interact as an intermediary between these, these, white dudes and and the the population to legitimize what they're saying people say like he would basically say the same thing that we were explaining but when he said it it made sense to people um and he he kind of becomes kind of this godsend
0: to to these cavers right he's having a great time he's just a local guy who has some part-time jobs he's struggled with addiction he's had other issues but his sister says look you're going to be their guide he's like okay he doesn't he's never spent a night camping before he doesn't know you're supposed to get inside a sleeping bag but you know he picks up he like he picks up how to tie the knots he, he, he immediately becomes an expert at all of these different things and he also becomes this intermediary uh and and for him this is a really exciting and wonderful position right um yeah. And so, you know, it seems like a very positive outcome uh, as he negotiates between these people. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out. For yeah. Him at the end.
2: So was this the, the part that I read is part of a, a, a larger book or?
0: Yeah, it's a slowly being written book in progress um, that that just kind of covers over time um, the different relationships that usually kind of end up with with in some cases, despite the best intentions of Uh, of very open-minded cavers in other cases, perhaps because of the um, closed-minded narcissism of foreign would-be celebrity cavers, Uh, you know, it it tends to end up in certain kinds of conflicts. Um, Yeah. And, and I don't know, hopefully I'll be done with it someday. Well, I,
2: I feel like the piece that I read uh, could be, tailored in, into its own standalone thing that felt like it would belong in the New Yorker. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I think as far as like writing for uh, a wider audience, uh, I, th- I think you're, you're really onto something and it can, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I want to read more. It's, it's all right.
0: Really- well, thank you. I'm, I'm also, I hope to get that out somewhere and people can contact me if they have any questions. Um, before I end up, uh before we get move on, I also want to plug. I also am starting a podcast at Warren Wilson. Uh, you can look it up, Spotify or Pocket Cast called Hellbender, talking with mostly students and peers and alums uh, about anthropology and stuff. Oh, great! But you onto some other stuff. Let's go.
2: So I want. So maybe let's zoom out as as someone who uh, you know I I did the. Mexican Revolution in your class, and then I also did it. I went to Queretaro for a uh, a semester and took a Mexican foreign policy class, and the teacher always joked that for the final exam they were going to lynch me um, as as a representative of the United States. Um, uh, so. I, that was two passes through the Mexican Revolution. And then I just listened to this, uh, great podcast, uh, revolutions, uh, um, by this, uh, this, this dude. And, uh, it's like 46 episodes. And so I, that was kind of a third time through it. The Mexican Revolution is, uh, incredibly complex, kind of this multi-headed, uh, hydra of, of, um, you know forces and and um at at cross purposes and and kind of characters change their their color throughout throughout the story you've gone through it uh many more times than than i have um i guess how how does the for you the the iterative process of of kind of going through the mexican revolution of trying to make sense of it um, what is that like for you now? And what has that been like? And, and how does that, um, th- what you know about that, how can you apply it to, um, to kind of what you're writing about, um, now uh, uh, about the current state of Mexico and, and, and,
0: yeah, yeah you know, that's a question I'll, I'll certainly be able to answer in 60 seconds or something, but, <laughs> you have four, um- <laughs> four minutes. <laughs> and and I don't, I have to say, I haven't, you know, in grad school, I took a course from the famous historian Alan Knight on the Mexican Revolution. I did some reading. It's not something I focus a whole lot on right now. I mean, what always has struck me in Mexico is how plural that is. We think of these conflicts. Um, we're often taught that wars are basically reduced to kind of clear sides led by kind of great identifiable men who become the statues. There's Zapata and Villa and Carranza and so on. Um, And, of course, that's complicated in and of itself, but, like, the rationales and the way this affects people in different local places is incredibly local. Uh, And, you know, the forms in which the Mexican Revolution happened and took place in the area i do my field work you know don't necessarily fit what you might see in the big places like morelos or or, or chihuahua it's, mm-hmm. it's really viewed through these kinds of local local eyes you know some places are kind of re, you know when when i talk to people who were still alive then and, and obviously they're all dead now um they were children and they talk about the sort of kind of hiding out from roving groups of armed men. They didn't really know what the ideologies were necessarily. Um, I think local politicians did their best to sort of keep the area out, the people who owns the kind of coffee haciendas. Ultimately, those were broken up, but they're not in a particularly violent way in this region. And, and a lot of, I discovered that some of the more rem- remote kind of lowland communities that I visit were largely kind of founded by people running away from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one of those phenomena. And and, and, and I think that there's a, a, a met lesson to be taken to that, to look at every big historical event, you know, not to look at it only from the kind of top down view that tends to focus yeah. on the interests of ideologies of, of great men, but you know, to see it from the bottom up as well.
2: Well, this, this has been great. I feel like we could uh, talk for an- another couple hours, but I, I got to get ready for Crime Talk BK. Thank you so okay. much, uh, Ben. And, um, and uh, keep in touch because uh, I, I really think what you're uh, putting together right now is, is,
0: is uh, some world-class stuff. All right, I appreciate
2: it, John. Good luck with the future. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Ben Feinberg. How about that? If you're listening to this on your computer, you can download the app for your phone. It works great. Up next is Crime Talk BK. If you like what you heard, you can go to the website and Click the green donate button and sign up for the newsletter. Some 70 great shows on this station. Thanks to Ben Feinberg, and thanks to you, dear listener, for being part of the program today. And uh, next week, the mashups, part five. Um, And I'm going to wrap it up with Shaka Khan. Got to examine your shock of pros and your shock of cons. Through the fire, this goes out to my wife. And I will talk to you guys down the road. Peace.
1: Of so jam-